right, let's take our Bibles back to the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 2 together. And let's go back and read verse 12, and we'll read down to verse 17. Colossians 2 verse 12, the Bible says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. I'm going to talk tonight about what was really nailed to his cross. Before I do that, though, I want to go back and look at verse 12. When we were in that verse, I didn't comment too much on that baptism there in the verse. And so as we study the Bible together, we need to understand some things. First of all, verse number 12 is not talking about water baptism. You are, we will make the gravest of errors if every time you see the word baptism, you think it is water baptism. That is an error most grievous. It will lead you into believing that water baptism takes away sin, which it does not. Uh, you know that water baptism isn't the only baptism in the Bible because John the Baptist preached about the Lord Jesus when he come would baptize them with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That has nothing to do with water. You know if you read in your Bible about how they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud. They didn't go down into the water and were put under the water. They didn't touch the water. They went into a cloud. The word baptism just means that something is being placed into something else. This verse is important because it says you're buried with him in baptism. There is a, a burying, there's an immersion with Jesus Christ. You and I were not there when John the Baptist put him under the water. He's not even talking about that. He's talking about a burial. You see that? Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So he's saying this, that we, we were buried with Christ in death and we rose with Christ in his resurrection. And so this is a spiritual baptism and we would know that by the context of what we talked about last time in verse 11 which is spiritual circumcision. That's definitely not a message that was talking about physical circumcision. That's what the Jews bragged about. And he was talking about the circumcision of their hearts, a spiritual circumcision on the inside. Well, the baptism in verse 12 is a spiritual baptism. It's being immersed into the death of Christ. And the Holy Ghost does that. The Bible says we're all baptized 
into one body by that Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. So when I'm, when I'm baptized or placed into Jesus Christ, when He was buried, I was buried. When He died, I died. And when He rose from the dead, I rose from the dead. I identify with His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Now, you say, why does he use the word baptism? Baptism is a picture of that. Unless you are a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Catholic. If, you, if people just sprinkle people, then that's not a baptism. It loses the whole picture. When we baptize somebody, we put them down under the water and we bring them up. That's just a picture. It's a painting. It's a portrait. Of how Jesus died and was buried. That water is a grave. It's a picture of a grave. And how he rose from the dead. It's only a picture. And so when we get baptized in water, we are telling the church and the world and everybody else that I'm identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I believe the gospel. Because the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel. And notice he said in verse number 12, he says, through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. In other words, I am buried with him in baptism and I am risen with him. If I put faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, then I am a partaker of that. I am, so the, the baptism, the one baptism of Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 5, the baptism where he talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 and 22, about even baptism doth also now save us. That is when we are placed by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ, into his death, into his burial, into his resurrection, in response to my faith in the operation of God. God did that. I believe in the literal death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And when I believe in that, then God's Spirit takes me and he puts me into that. That's, that's, that's salvation. That's being born again. That's God's operation in my life. And so there's been millions of people that got into the water, but they never got into Jesus. And they got into a church, but they never got into Jesus. And so he's talking about how you can be placed into Christ, into his death, into his resurrection by the Spirit of God. And that's by believing the gospel. And so that's why we read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. That's not a phrase that's just spoken to tell people how I live. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. He's saying, I, I literally, when Jesus died, I died, my sins died. And when Jesus rose, I have the same resurrected life of the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm saved by his marvelous grace and he has put me into this wonderful life that I could not do for myself. And I died. My old life died, and I was placed in Jesus. Look at chapter 3 of Colossians. You're Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 1. You see that? If ye then be risen with Christ. So I'm crucified with him. I'm risen with him. And I partake in everything he partakes of. That's why we're, he says we're seated together with him in heavenly places. So, so but, but that's just, that's not what I want to talk about tonight. 
believing the gospel took care of my sins. He said here in this verse, in verse number 13, having forgiven you all trespasses. Believing the gospel took care of my sins. But what about all that stuff that was written against me and is written against me that condemns every human being? What was really nailed to the cross? Now, I, I, I probably have said this. I don't think it's an error to say this. It's just not the most scriptural thing to say. What was really nailed to the cross when Jesus went to the cross? We would think it's our sins. But that's not what the Bible says. Look, look at our verse. Verse number 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Do you see that? Here's the problem. We've got a lot bigger problem than just our sin. We have the ordinances and the writings of God that condemn every one of us. So one thing for me, for me to be forgiven my sin, but what about all that stuff that really describes humanity and even describes who I am after I get saved? Thou shalt not bear false witness. You telling me you never borne false witness since you've been saved? Thou shalt not covet. Anybody want to lie tonight and say since you've been saved you've never coveted? We have a whole Bible that is against us, that condemns us. God not only removed my sin, He removed what was written that was against me. If you can ever see this, you'll shout up and down and run around the church building. You know, the majority of all people, they're looking at the Bible and say, man, I can't ever live up to that. God, when Jesus went to the cross, he nailed to his cross everything that was written against me. Let's read again. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Now, what is the handwriting of ordinances? He's talking about the law. Do you know when God wrote the law, he wrote it with his own hand? I mean, with the finger of God, God wrote on those tablets with his finger. That was his handwriting. Hold your finger right there. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. He says the same thing about the ordinances. Same exact thing. Ephesians chapter 2, look at it, verse number 13, Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometime, sometimes were far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Watch verse 15 now, watch it. Having abolished, well that's a big word, abolished. Just like in our text, the word blotting out. Have you ever blotted out something? When you blot it out, it ain't there anymore. Is that right? It's not even there. If it's blotted out, it's not there. 
My sins are blotted out. That means they're not there. But God not only blotted out your sin, He blotted out the ordinance that was written against you. (laughs) He He blotted out the thing that was written that condemns all of us. He abolished, look at the Bible in Ephesians 2.15, having abolished, abolished in his flesh the enmity. Well, what's the enmity? What is what is our enemy? You say it's our sin. It's the devil. Oh, it's much more than that. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, watch it, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That was That's what's enmity with us. All you have to do is read the Bible and read through that Old Testament and see how much God and His Word is against you. Not just what we do, but what we think. Having, he says, abolished in His flesh the end of, even the law of commandments containing ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace and that he might re- he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain slain the enmity thereby the bible said when Jesus went to the cross he not only died and he not only took care of your sin but he slew the writing that was against What was slain was not just Jesus, but was the writing, the enmity, the ordinances, the law that was against you. He blotted that out. He removed it. Go back to our text. He says in Colossians 2, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Everything in the Bible is contrary to man. Everything. That's why people don't want to read it. Because it's against us. (laughs) People want God to be for them. There's only one way God will be for us. You've got to get to the cross. And until you get to the cross, everything about God and the Bible is against you. He says that handwriting, the thing that God wrote with his own hand, all those laws... Was against, was contrary to us. Look at, but he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. It was against us, which was contrary to us. But what Jesus did, he took all that writing, and he nailed it to his cross. He nailed it. So more things were nailed on the cross than just Jesus. Jesus nailed the law to the cross. He blotted out the handwriting. Now, wait a minute. If the finger of God wrote the law, then the finger of God can blot out the law. You can't do that. I can't do that. Religion can't do that. But the one that wrote it with his finger can blot it out with his finger. And so the Lord of glory, the Lamb of God, God in the flesh, he had the power to blot out what he wrote. I'll show it to you one more time. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, now, this is important as we move forward. Because you've got to understand that everything that was written contrary to, to man in the law 
has been blotted out, has been abolished, has been slain, has been taken out of the way, and has been nailed to the cross of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. A lot of people don't believe that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says in verse number 7, you say, preacher, you know, we, we say we're saved, but what happens if, uh, if, if somebody that's saved covets? Now, now, usually they won't say that. They'll say this. What if somebody that's been born again commits adultery? Well, then he's got to go to hell, right? <laughs> but they'll never say, what happens to somebody that covets after he gets saved? Don't he go to hell? What about, what about the kids that don't honor their mom and daddy after they get saved? Do you know anyone's like that? Do they go to hell? You see, here's the thing about that law. It is contrary to us. It is against us. And here's the truth of the matter. Nobody can keep that law. It's against us. We can't do it. You say, well, I've kept some of it. Well, here's the only problem with that. The Bible says in James chapter 2, if we offend in one point of it, we're guilty of all of it. So if you coveted, you're guilty of the other nine. That's what he said. You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees when they were talking about the law? He says, none of you keep the law. He said that right to their face. You guys talk about the law all the time. Hey, none of you keep the law. You know what the disciples said in Acts chapter 15 when they're arguing about whether or not they have to be, the Gentiles have to be circumcised to go to heaven and be saved? They stood up and said, Peter stood up and said, guys, none of us are able to bear this. <laughs> they ain't none of us can live by the law. Because we're going to mess, that law's big, man. And it isn't just 10 points. There's all kind of ordinances in there. The very idea, you know, the guy said, are you saved? He says, well, I hope so. Why do you hope so? Well, I'm trying to keep the commandments. That's the dumbest thing anybody's ever said. You ain't trying to keep the commandments. You don't even know what they are. <laughs> and the ones you do know, you may keep, you know, two or three of those. <laughs> and the truth is that the writing of that law is against us. It's contrary to us. It condemns every one of us. The Bible says, cursed. Listen, cursed be he that continueth not in all things whatsoever the law saith. If you don't do all the law, you're cursed. Well, preacher, what are we all going to do? None of that bothers me anymore. Because the one that went to the cross not only took away my bad things, he took the ordinances that were against me and he nailed them to the cross. He took it out of the way. I don't ever have to meet that. That's what was nailed to the tree. And you better thank God every day for that. I'll read again. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7. But if the ministration of death Written and engraven in stones. You know what that is. Those are the commandments. That's the law. God calls it the ministry of death. <laughs> yeah, the law is the ministry of death. And the sooner you find out you're dead, the quicker you'll get to the guy that can only that can is only want to give you life. That's the purpose of the law, to be your schoolmaster, to let you know how dead and in trouble you are. That's why we need to give lost people the the, the, the commandments. It's the ministry of death because most people don't believe they're dead. 
if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be, what does it say? Done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory. Now, that, so the law is ministering death. It's ministering condemnation. It's condemning all of us. Much more the ministration of righteousness exceedeth in glory. The Bible says in verse number 10, For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect. Verse number 11, For if that which is, watch it, done away. Do you see that? Was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. He, so he's saying it's done away. Look at verse 13. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is, what's the word? Abolished. 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the what? The reading of the what? Old Testament, look at it. Which veil is what? Done away in Christ. He took the veil away. That's what he said over there in Colossians chapter 2. He tells us that he took it out of the way. In other words, something was in your way and in my way to God. And it's not just me. It's what he wrote with his hand. It's his law. It's his commandment. It's his. That was in my way. There's no way any human being can get past that law. And so the Lord said, all right, I'll just take that and I'll nail it to my cross. Now you can say, figuratively speaking, our sins were nailed there because our, the Bible says our sins, where our sins were, were actually not on the cross, they were in his body. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who in his body bear our sins on the tree. So the sins were in his body. Of course, his body was nailed to the cross. But what he really did was he nailed the handwriting of ordinances to his cross, those things that were against us. And then somebody says, well, okay, so what does that mean, preacher? I'll just give you this. It means that a saved person is not under the law. That's Romans 6, 14. A saved person is dead to the law. That's the quote, Romans 7, verse 4. A, a saved person is free from the law. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 4. He took it out of the way. So here's the truth. If you're a part of God's body... If you're part of the church, these ordinances back here, they don't have anything to do with you. It's not in your way. He removed that. And, and by the way, go, go to this. I, I thought this was just astounding. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Not only that, not only does the church, is the church not under the ordinance of the law, it goes farther than that. We have our own. We have our own ordinances. And they are not thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal. That's not our ordinance. 
He nailed the handwriting of ordinances to a cross. And this, this is what the Bible says. First Corinthians. Well, what's our ordinances? First Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the what? God says, I tell you what, you guys, humanity, y'all can't keep any of the ordinances. So I'm going to nail them to the cross, and if you'll trust me as the church, I'll give you two. Well, glory. I don't have to worry about all the dietary laws. I don't have to worry about all the Sabbath day laws. I don't have to worry even about the Ten Commandments. God says, you want some more? I'll give you two ordinances. When you trust my son, then get in there and get baptized. And then, will you remember me, Jesus said, and have that Lord's table and take it. It's so hard, isn't it? (laughs) God told humanity, here's ordinance, thou shalt not covet. You ever tried not to do that? You know what? Pretty easy to get in the baptistry one time. Yeah. You know, it was a little hard for me as a, as a young person because I was afraid of the water. I didn't know how to swim. But I mean, you know, it's not that deep. I'd say this: somebody, somebody that's saved by the grace of God and has never been scripturally baptized, you probably will have a hard time doing anything else God has asked you to do because that is so simple. All it takes is a little. Humility. Isn't that easy? I mean, we've, we've baptized handicapped people in that baptistry. All those ordinances those Jews had, and Jesus said, Okay, church, I'll give you two. Can you take a little piece of bread? <laughs> How hard is that, guys? For some people, it's pretty rough because they don't seem to be able to make it back to the church for the supper. (laughs) How easy is that? Church has its own ordinances. Matter of fact, you're in 1 Corinthians. Just look back two chapters. Look at chapter 9. We not only have our own ordinances, we have our own law. And it's not the Ten Commandments. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Watch this, what he says in verse 21. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Guys, we do not live by the Ten Commandments. For me to live is... I'm under the law to Jesus. I just do what He wants me to do. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. As we're led by Christ, as we follow Christ, and as you follow the Spirit of God, you'll fulfill more than the law. You'll go way, the Holy Ghost will take you a step further as you follow Jesus Christ. I'm not saying Christian people say people can do anything they want to. No, we do have a law, but the law is not the Ten Commandments. The law is whatever Jesus wants us to do. It's just obeying Him. And He's never unreasonable. And He'll never tell me to do anything I can't do.
So the Bible says we're not subject to ordinances. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. He took it out of the way. What did, was really nailed to his cross? The handwriting of ordinances. Everything that told God and the devil and the world that you're guilty was nailed to the cross of Jesus. <laughs> well, that ought to be liberating to somebody. Everything that said that you were not good enough and that you never measure up and that here's all your shortcomings and failures and that you never do meet up to God's standard. Everything that was written against you when you trusted Christ as your personal Savior, He nailed all that to His cross. And now all you have to do is is answer to the one that loved you and saved you. He said in... uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 20. Wherefore, this is such a question. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, we just talked about that in verse 12. If ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why? Here's a question. Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to what? Why are you subjecting yourself to all these ordinances if you're dead with Christ? If all that's been taken out of the way, why are you living your life by ordinances? Look at the next verse. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Look, look, here's the danger of religion. It doesn't matter if it's Baptist. It doesn't matter if it's Methodist. It doesn't matter if it's Catholic. This is the danger of religion. It's all contained in ordinances about do this and don't do this and don't do that. And if you do this, you'll be holy. If you don't do that, then you'll be holy. And that is not the Christian life. All of that was removed. The Christian life is one thing, and that's you and Jesus. You and Jesus. That's the Christian life. Your fellowship with Jesus, your obedience to Jesus, your testimony for Jesus. It's not about touch not. Do you believe, preacher, we can just touch everything and taste it? No, I'm not saying that. We'll get to that when we get to the verse. But there are a lot of people that don't understand all of those little lists is not what Christianity is about. If that's what Christianity is about, he would have just kept us all in Judaism. So he says the ordinances are taken away. They're literally nailed to the cross. They're abolished. You've got a whole new, brand new set of laws. The Lord is just not worried whether or not you commit adultery. He's worried about what you're looking at. The Lord is not just worried about whether or not you steal. The the Lord's worried about whether or not you're angry. That's not your problem. It's much deeper. Mm. But this is what happens. People put all those touch not, taste not, all those rules, those ordinances, and they make themselves feel good about themselves because... And yet they're still not any closer to God than they started. That, that's what the text we're in tonight. He said he took all those ordinances out of the way. He abolished them. He took it out of the way and he nailed it to his cross. Now look at verse 16. Because of that, we can read this. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, 
but the body is of Christ. He said all those things in verse 16, they're not the real thing. They're just types of the real thing. They're just figures. They're a shadow. You need to be worried about the body of Christ, not all those ordinances. This is what happened in the early church. Since in the Old Testament it says you're not to eat pork, you can't eat lobster, you can't, you can't eat a whole bunch of things. I don't even know what they all are. You say, well, are you not worried about it? Not in the least. That's nailed to his cross. I don't even read it. I mean, I read it so I can preach it to somebody else, but not, it's not for me. The law is not made for a righteous man. And I'm righteous in Jesus Christ. Not made for me. Wasn't written for me. He's already taken it out of the way. And so Paul writes this in 1 Timothy. Oh, you better have this. Well, what about all that in the Old Testament? It says, you know, we... Man, the Old Testament tells you how to go to the bathroom. It's got rules. It's got rules about marriage and stuff that I, I wouldn't even talk about. Well, that went over well, but... You know what, guys? God's been so easy on us. <laughs> and, and people complain about how hard it is to live a Christian life. Oh, my soul. They must not read the Old Testament. He said, hey, he said, you're saved. Don't let anybody judge you and me in drink, respect, hold. Don't, don't worry about all that. All that Sabbath day keeping stuff. You know what Jesus did with the Sabbath? He nailed it to his cross. He nailed it to his cross. That's all those Seventh-day Adventists trying to keep that law, they, they never read that verse. Trying to keep the law. You're in the wrong time. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, these are great verses, verse 3. Forbidding to marry. You know, in the Old Testament, a priest, he, he couldn't even marry who he wanted to marry. There are rules about marrying. Now God's got, look, why don't God, Lord says this, if you're saved, marry a saved person. <laughs> anyway, let's keep reading. For being to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. Well, that's not what the Old Testament says. Well, what happened? He nailed it to his cross. He can say whatever he wants to say now. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. You know, they even had a big battle about whether they could eat meat that was offered to idols. That's what Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 about. And he's saying, hey, don't let anybody judge you. All that stuff was nailed to the cross. Eat whatever you want to eat. Just don't offend somebody. Don't do it in front of their face and be arrogant and be a jerk. <laughs> if you want to eat pork belly, Amen. If you want to eat pork rib, praise God. But don't, 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 don't do that in some, front of somebody that has a weak conscience. But you can eat whatever you want to eat. There's nothing inherently wrong in what you can eat or drink. Look at Mark chapter 7. I've got to hurry. I'm almost finished, I promise you. Mark chapter 7. Grab Mark chapter 7, and so you'll be ready for it real quick, and we'll get out in five minutes. Mark chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 4. Because I've got to deal with that in respect of a holy day thing real quick. Mark chapter 7. 
Now you said, preacher, it says, let no man judge me in meat or drink. So does that mean I can drink anything I want to drink? Mark chapter 7. Well, see, he's talking about all those rules in the Old Testament. There were, there were times that they couldn't even drink grape juice. There were different rules about what they could drink, even with their food down to leaven and cooking things together and all that. But I do want to read this to you. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And when he had called all the people in him, he said to them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, they, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And uh, the Bible says, verse 17, when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. He said, are you, they didn't, even his disciples didn't get what he just said. Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats? And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, evil, pride, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Okay. You say, well, preacher, well, what about alcohol? Now, we believe and teach according to the Bible and according to God and according to Christian character that people ought not drink alcohol. We, we believe that as a church. We believe that. But in the, the thing, in, in those things are not things that are inherently sinful. Let, let me describe what I mean to you. Would you say taking drugs is wrong? Is that wrong? Is it wrong if you have to go to the hospital and take one tonight? If it's inherently sin sinful. You, you understand what I'm saying? Drunkenness is not a problem with the fruit that God made. It's a problem with somebody's heart. He said even, he said all these wicked sins of the flesh, he said the problem is the things in the people's hearts that, that make them pursue that. It's their heart, that, it's not the tangible thing. And I use that about drugs for this purpose. You know there was a day, it's not been, it's not been uh, all through human history that we've had morphine and fentanyl and I've told you a story about Stonewall Jackson when he, he got shot in the arm. And uh, all they had to give him was booze on the battlefield. And he said, I don't drink. They said, General, we've got to cut your arm off. I do not drink. They started sawing, and he said, I drink. <laughs> now listen to me. That was not sinful. That's what I'm saying. There was nothing inherently sinful. But there is something inherently sinful in adultery. You can never give an excuse for that. People try. You see the difference? There is a difference. Even in the, Old, even in the New Testament days, when they didn't have clean water, 
I, I might lose you here, but I, I don't want to lose you here. There were some things they did to purify their water. Not to be drunken or inebriated. Guys, the problem is the heart. Just like those, just like those pills that they give you for your pain, and you take those and they're okay, but if you take them a day longer than you need to take them, the same pill that was okay a minute ago now is a sin in your life. Do you understand that? There's not something inherent. It's what's in your heart and why you're wanting to do that. So if somebody leaves here and says that, that I said it's all right to drink, you've lost your brain. I'm just trying to get you to understand what he's saying. Let no man judge me in meat or in drink, whether it's Old Testament drink thing rules or whether it's trying to say that the problem with, with, with all the meat and all that, the problem is the heart. The problem is the heart. Okay, I, uh, we really don't have time to get the last one. Uh, and all that was contained in those ordinances. Or he said in respect of unholy days. I said turn to Hebrews chapter 4. So holy days, Sabbath days. That was all nailed to the cross. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 4. He talks about the seventh day as being a day of rest. Special day, right? Verse 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, anyone not after spoken of another day. Verse 9. There remaineth therefore rest of the people of God. Verse 10. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his works as God did from his. And so the whole point of Hebrews chapter 4, and it's really the whole point of much of the book of Hebrews, is to show that Christ is the fulfillment. All that stuff was the shadow, and now Christ is the fulfillment. You don't need a Sabbath day. You have a Sabbath on the inside of you if you're saved. You have the rest. You don't need a special day. You've got Jesus. You don't need... The Feast of Tabernacles or, or the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of... Or whatever it is. You, you don't need all of that. Because you have the real thing on the inside of you. You've got more than a day. You've got the God of the day on the inside of you. Let no man judge you in respect of holy day. You know, the English word for that is holiday. Of course, the Catholics are a bit for that. Okay. Oh, let's all get spiritual and take take mass on Christmas and Easter. That's a, that's a joke. It's such a joke. He nailed all that to the cross. If you want to have a special day, have a special day. But that ain't going to get you closer to God. It ain't got nothing to do with God. I'm scared to say this. I'm going to say it anyway. Because I'm in the text. Now, we meet on Sunday for a reason. But, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on to your britches. But it's not a holy day. Today's a holy day. Tomorrow's a holy day. Monday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, it's all holy days. And you know what? I don't have to wait till Sunday to worship God. I can worship on Wednesday. And then, then you've got the, the church deniers that say, well, see there, we don't have to go to church on Sunday. Because we don't observe holy days. There's four reasons we go to church on Sunday. Four reasons. And it's not because Sunday is more, more special than Monday. 
But we go to church for four reasons on Sunday. First of all, here's one I like to give. Because God says on the first day of the week, we're all supposed to come together and give our money. How are you going to do that if you don't meet together on the first day of the week? It's not that Sunday. No, this is the day God says we're supposed to give our money. On Sunday, not Wednesday, Sunday. The second reason is because the early church met on Sunday as a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who rose on the first day of the week. And Paul said, follow the traditions that I gave you. We do it because of tradition. And it's a good one. It's better than yours. It's better than staying home. That's why we meet. We meet because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. The, the early church did that. That's the day we give our money. And number four, that's when we choose to meet. And the same Hebrews book, and I was going to have you turn over there, in chapter 10, tells you to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. So we assemble on Sunday. So if you don't do that, you sinned not because you broke the Sabbath day or the law or the holy day. You sinned because you refused to meet with the church when the church meets. Same thing for Wednesday when we have special days. We can meet whatever day we choose. And if you don't come then, you're not right either. <laughs> All right, let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Amen. Glory to God. It's not because it's a holy day. Oh, let's not do this because it's Sunday. You better not do this because it's Monday.